Good afternoon, everyone. On the update this Monday, mourners gathered at a Harlem church at the funeral of Jordan Neely, the man whose chokehold death on the subway set off a debate about vigilantism, homelessness, and public safety. Meanwhile, presidential hopefuls on the Republican side have rushed to support Daniel Penny of the latest detainees. Democratic leaders in major cities across this country are finding themselves politically squeezed when it comes to addressing homelessness. The Mets seem not to be getting on the right track. Justin Verlander outpitched Shane Bieber in a marquee matchup of Cy Young Award winners that lived up to its billing. And the resurgent Mets edged the Guardians for a sweep of a doubleheader. And conservative groups that have targeted and won majorities on local boards and commissions across this country over the past couple of years are now pressing agendas that include election distrust, skepticism of government, and a desire to have religion play a greater role in public decision-making. This is the update. Monday, May the 22nd, 2023. From the Tommy Lynn stage at the Urban Dove Charter School in Brooklyn, New York, this is the update with Brandon Julian, a three-time winner of the Kingsborough Community College Gold Student Service Award. It's everything that you need to know, because anything can happen in New York. Greetings and salutations to you all, folks, every last one of you. Uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the update on a Monday. It is the start of a brand new week for us together. Like I said off the top, I hope all of you had a good weekend. Mine, of course, was rather eventful. I was out in uh, New Jersey for my job's uh, retreat. Uh, yes, <laughs> even even my job can is able to drag me out of the city for a day and a half to... Uh, the purpose of it, as I was told, was to tell our staff that there's uh, there's more to the world than Brooklyn, New York. And uh, there is. You should definitely check it out sometime. <laughs> but no, I definitely had a lot of fun out there, but it's good, it's good to be off. The weather seems to be cooperating with us, and we are one week away, less than a week actually, from Memorial Day weekend, the unofficial start of the summer of 2023. I'll get into more about the trip a little later on, of course, in the program. In the meantime, of course, I'm Brandon Julian. We appreciate you so much for being here, wherever you may be, and however you may be listening to us. Lots of news, of course, to catch you up on. We're going to begin this Monday with uh, with uh, Jordan Neely, of course. Mourners gathered at church in Harlem for the funeral of Neely, the man, of course, whose chokehold death on the subway set off a debate about vigilantism, homelessness, and public safety. The former Michael Jackson impersonator died on the first, of course, when a fellow subway rider pinned him to the floor of a car in a chokehold that lasted for several minutes. The fatal struggle was recorded on video by an onlooker who said that Neely had been yelling at other passengers while begging for money, but he hadn't actually attacked anyone. 
the Reverend Al Sharpton said uh, on Friday that Neely needed to be helped and not abused. On the Republican side of this, of course, Decision 2024 is about a year and change away, and the Republican presidential hopefuls rushed to support Daniel Penny, that Marine veteran caught on video uh, pinning Neely in that chokehold. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis urged the nation to show Penny that, quote, America's got his back. Former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley called for uh, Governor Hochul to pardon Penny and biotech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy donated $10,000 to his legal defense fund. Top Republicans, they have tried to make rising crime rates a political liability for Democrats. But the Democrats and racial justice advocates counter that GOP messaging around restoring law and order. It plays on deep-seated racism. Now, on to some of the other news of this Monday. And Morgan Stanley's longtime CEO, James Gorman, is going to retire sometime in the next year, he said on Friday at the bank's annual shareholder meeting. Gorman said that the bank is looking at three senior internal candidates to be the bank's, the investment bank's new CEO. Once the transition does happen, Gorman says that he plans to remain at the bank as executive chairman of the board for, of course, a short period of time. The best-selling novelist James Patterson is now teaming up with investigative journalist Vicki Ward on a book about the 2022 killing of four University of Idaho students. Little, Brown, and company announced on Friday that Patterson and Ward will, quote, draw from dozens of exclusive interviews, extensive on-the-ground reporting, copious court transcripts, and their own planned attendance at the trial of suspect Brian Kohlberger, who was indicted earlier this week by a grand jury in Boise. Uh, Kohlberger is accused of killing Zena Nurdle, Ethan Chapin, <clears throat> Madison McGinn, and Kaylee Konkavis at a rental home in Moscow, Idaho, near the University of Idaho campus. <laughs> Over across the border in Hartford, Connecticut, the governor there, Ned Lamont, said on Friday that he's planning to meet with the commissioner of the NHL, Gary Bettman, about uh, the possibility of moving the Arizona Coyotes to Hartford. Lamont told reporters during a news availability that he hopes the meeting can take place sometime next week. He said that Hartford provides a passionate market and a government that would be willing to partner with the team. Talk of relocation for the Coyotes has taken on steam since voters in Tempe, Arizona this week rejected referendum on an over $2 billion entertainment district that would have allowed the franchise to build a new arena there. The founder of a nonprofit group has now been accused of fabricating a story about homeless military veterans being evicted from a hotel to make room for migrants. It was a tale, of course, that stoked days of outrage on the cable news networks. 
One Republican lawmaker in New York who helped spread the story is now calling for an investigation, saying that he and others were duped. In a brief interview with the AP, the nonprofit founder who told this story about the veterans declined to say directly that it was not true, but she suggested that a misunderstanding it did lead to confusion. Meanwhile, the remains of a U.S. Marine veteran who was missing in Ukraine for more than a year have now been returned to the U.S. and are headed to his hometown in eastern North Carolina. A Turkish Airlines flight transporting the remains of retired Marine Captain Grady Kirpazi landed in New York on Friday night. A private jet is flying the remains to his family in Wilmington, North Carolina. The 50-year-old Iraq War veteran volunteered in February of last year to fight in the Ukrainian Foreign Legion and help evacuate Ukrainian residents. He was last seen in April of last year and was declared dead last month by the U.S. State Department. Gustavo Dudamel and the New York Philharmonic, they received a seven-minute standing ovation following his first performance with the orchestra since he agreed to become the music director. Dudamel conducted a performance of Mahler's Ninth Symphony at David Geffen Hall, a program that he is scheduled to repeat, it was scheduled to repeat on Saturday night and yesterday afternoon. The 42-year-old Venezuelan has been music director of the Los Angeles Philharmonic since 2009 and released at the 2025-26 season. He agreed in February to a five-year contract as New York's artistic and music director starting in 2026-27. Meanwhile, up north, near the border in Niagara Falls, the COVID pandemic, of course, had upended learning across this country. And now that students are back together in class, some are much more behind than others. In Richard Evans' classroom in Niagara Falls, the approach is one that mirrors a best practice for the nation. He is tailoring his in- instruction depending on the individual students' needs. And after a year of doing this and tracking the results meticulously, he says that it actually appears to be working. Using assessments to identify students' individual needs is the top strategy that American schools are using to help help kids catch up from the pandemic. In other news, the firing of two employees at a religious school in the western part of the state is now fanning the culture wars that have been rolling across the country. Shua Wilmot and Reagan Zalea were dismissed as dorm directors at Holy University because they refused to remove gender pronouns from their work email signatures. Wilmot uses he, him, while Zalea uses she, her. They say they do so to prevent their unusual names from causing confusion. University university officials, I should say, they were merely asking the former employees to comply with the rules for email formats that are new, and also included changes to colors and fonts. They say the changes are intended to help the school maintain branding consistency.
And finally, Democratic leaders in major cities across this country are finding themselves politically squeezed when it comes to addressing homelessness. Their constituents are tiring of seeing the homeless encampments sprouting across the communities. Advocates for homeless people are denouncing the hardline approaches being taken in large cities, including New York and L.A. A unanimous New York City Council has passed a homeless bill of rights. It not only codifies a long-standing right to shelter, uh, but it would also it would also be the first U.S. city to establish the right if Adams' laws allow the measure to become law. Time for us to step aside momentarily. When we return on the update this Monday, we have a few important messages to tell you from the NTA. Going to talk some sports and how the Mets, it looks like they seem to be finally starting to right the ship and are also remembering the Hall of Famer, Jim Brown. We'll talk about what happened on retreat over the weekend. It truly was uh, a lot of fun. I thought it was going to be bad, but it actually turned out better than uh, I had hoped. And then we're going to talk together, of course, the latest national news. In Washington, another round of dead talks has been wrapping up at the Capitol. White House and Republican staff of the House, they met for two and a half hours last night without any word of a possible going to talk about this, folks, and a lot more, too, of course, when the update Brain of Julian returns in just a moment. Brandon Julian. You know, for many years now, my wife's favorite holiday has been Halloween. It's started to become my favorite holiday, too, or at least one of them. And it's not because that girls out there every year, they dress up in crazy costumes and sexy costumes. If you think about it, the ladies totally do, though. You know, some people are like, I'm a witch if she was a hooker. I'm Little Miss Muppet. I'm sure you are. Hey, that almost sounded dirty, Brandon. This is the update with Brandon Julian. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Brandon Julian. Of all the newscasters in New York, I just happen to be one of them. This is the update with Brandon Julian.
keeping an eye on the roads, the rails, and the skies. It's time for Traffic and Weather Together. Beginning Monday, May 15th at 5 a.m. through Monday, July 3rd. There will be delays and service changes on the B, D, F, and M trains because of switch replacement work near West 4th Street, Washington Square. Uptown commutes are scheduled to take an additional two minutes. There will be one fewer F train during the morning rush, with two fewer F trains and one fewer M train during the afternoon rush. In addition, F Express trains will not be running. On three weekends between Friday, May 26th and Monday, June 19th, there'll be no uptown D and F trains along the 6th Avenue line. Uptown D trains will run on the C line between West 4th Street and 145th Street. And Uptown F trains will run on the E line between West 4th Street and Jackson Heights, Roosevelt Avenue. Uptown A and C trains will run express between Canal Street and 145th Street. For skip stations, use a downtown D or F train. Between 11.45 p.m. on Friday, May 13th and 5 a.m. on Monday, May 15th, Uptown D trains will run local between Broadway Lafayette Street and 4750th Street's Rockefeller Center. And for two weekends, Monday, May 20th to the 22nd, and Friday, June 30th to Monday, July 3rd, Uptown F trains will run express between Broadway Lafayette Street and 4750th Street's Rockefeller Center. Weeknight reroutes will happen between April 24th and July 14th. Work will also occur for two weeks between June 5th and June 16th. Between 9.30 p.m. and 5 a.m. on those nights, a and C trains will run express between 145th Street and Canal Street. D trains will operate via the A and F lines between 59th Street Columbus Circle and Coney Island Stillwell Avenue. F trains will run local between 21st Street Queensbridge and Coney Island, running via the N and R lines in Manhattan and via the D-Line in Brooklyn. Free shuttle buses will run between West 4th Street and Grand Street on the D-Line and between West 4th Street and East Broadway on the F-Line. Beginning Friday, May 12th at 11.45 p.m., the Manhattan-bound seven train platforms at 111th Street and 82nd Street, Jackson Heights, will be closed 24-7 to make station upgrades. For service to these stations, take a Flushing-bound 7 train and transfer, 
or you can use the Q32 or Q48 buses. Beginning at 10 p.m. on Sunday, February 26th until August, Jamaica Centerbound J and Z trains will bypass 75th Street Elderts Lane and Woodhaven Boulevard 24-7 because of station rehabilitation work. During rush hours beginning February 27th, skip stop service is not running from Jamaica Center Parsons Archer to Crescent Street. Trains will make local stops instead. For alternate service, use the Q56 bus making stops along Jamaica Avenue. Beginning Monday, February 27th, the passageway connecting the 1, 2, and 3 trains and the F, L, and M trains at 14th Street, 6th Avenue is closed because of accessibility improvements. If you normally transfer between these trains at 14th Street, 6th Avenue, you still will be able to for free via an out-of-system walking transfer between 6th and 7th Avenue. The New York City Police Department would like to remind you to keep your belongings in sight and to stay aware of your surroundings. If you see something suspicious in the station or on the train, tell a police officer or an MTA employee. MTA crews are here to help us get around. Let's treat them with respect. Assaulting a New York City Transit employee is a felony, punishable by up to seven years in prison. The fare on local, limited, and select bus service is $2.75. Transfers must be requested upon payment of the cash fare. For the S79 select bus service, pay on board the bus. For all other select bus service routes, pay at the kiosk outside and hold your ticket for the duration of your trip for possible inspection. The fare on express buses is $6.75. Coins are not accepted as a payment on express buses. Now, with the latest scores and highlights, it's time for the sports update. So it seems like the New York Mets, for once this season, have finally started to outright the ship. At a city field, they were playing the Guardians, Justin Verlander, Shane Bieber. They were a merry matchup of Cy Young Award winners that definitely lived up to the billing. But the Mets edged the Guardians 2-1 for a sweep of the doubleheader. Francisco Lindor homered against his former team, and Jeff McNeil knocked in the tie-breaking run with a sacrifice fly off of Bieber uh, in the eighth. Brooks, Brooks Rayleigh, excuse me, closed out the Mets' fifth consecutive comeback win, all by one run, since they had a six and sixteen slide. In the opener, Starling Marte ended a long power drop, hitting a go-ahead homer in the eighth that sent the Mets to a five-four win. In the second matchup of Cy Young Award winners this season, Verlander allowed three hits and struck out five over his eight innings of work. Yeah. <sighs> 
course, uh, the Mets made some news. The former all-star catcher, Gaddy Sanchez, is back in the majors, this time with the New York Mets. He was selected from a AAA Syracuse where he hit 308, one homer, five RBIs, nine walks, ten strikeouts, and eight games. His deal calls for a $1.5 million salary while in the bigs. He signed a minor league contract with the Mets back on the 9th, a week after he was released from a minor league contract with the Giants. And meanwhile, Yankees and Reds playing out in Cincinnati. Harrison Bader, Gaber Torres, both homers, and spark a comeback. Did I say Gaber Torres? I meant Gleyber Torres. My bad. <laughs> but yes, he and Harrison Bader, both homers, and spark a comeback, leading the Yanks over the Reds 4-1 to for a three-game sweep and the first four-game winning streak of the year. Luis Severino returned from a strained Latin muscle that had sidelined him since spring training, allowed one run and four hits and four and two-thirds. Uh, Yankee manager Aaron Boone was ejected in the first, and David Bell, the red manager, was ejected in the eighth. The Yanks completed a road trip where they went 6-1. and one. They've won 6-7 also and 14-19, of 19, proving to a season-high nine games over 500. Of course, it seems like the Yankees, they have finally had enough of the ongoing Aaron Hicks trouble. So they cut him the other day, and now old the struggling outfielder. About $28 million for more than two and a half seasons remaining in a seven-year, $70 million contract. Hicks was designated for assignment and made room for outfielder Greg Allen, acquired in a trade with the Red Sox on Friday. 33-year-old Hicks was batting 188 with one homer, five RBIs in just 28 games this season. He had agreed, of course, to a seven-year, a seven-year, $70 million contract back in February of 2019, but injured his right elbow on that August 3rd that missed the rest of the regular season and the five postseason games, homering in Game 5 of the ALCS against Houston. Hicks had Tommy John surgery with the L.A. Dodger team head team physician, Dr. Neil L. Atrachi, that October 30th. And from the diamond, we have to go over to the gridiron, where in Cleveland, we're remembering the NFL legend, actor, and the social activist, Mr. Jim Brown. He died at the age of 87. Brown shattered records during a relatively short NFL career, leading the Browns to their first championship in 1964, and retired in his prime to become an actor. Brown starred in more than 30 films, including The Dirty Dozen and Any Given Sunday. Brown was also a prominent leader in the black power movement of the 60s and dedicated much of his life to social causes. He also had notable off-the-field transgressions, including allegations of violence against women. Now, folks, when we return on the update this Monday, we'll have the reactions from the retreat, or at least my reaction. I still say and argue that it was still a lot of fun. And then we're going to talk together, of course, the latest national news. Down in Gallatin, Tennessee, conservative groups that have targeted and won majorities on those local school boards and commissions across the country over the past few years are now pressing agendas that include election distrust. The skepticism of 
government and a desire to have religion play a greater role in public decision-making. Going to talk about this, folks, and a lot more, too, of course, when the update of Brandon Julian returns after these messages. Brandon Julian. Thanksgiving. You know, Thanksgiving, people, it's... Uh, we don't even really have a tradition for Thanksgiving. The tradition, when you think about it, is that we overeat. Honestly, it's like, hey, why don't we just make a holiday where we just eat a lot? We do that every day. Oh. Why don't we do it with people who annoy the crap out of us? Oh, he's definitely anti-family. This is The Update with Brandon Julian. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. What is dedication? The thing that drives me every day as a dad is Dariana. We call him uh, Day Day for short. Every day he's hungry for something, whether it's attention, affection, knowledge. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that when he's no longer under my wing, that he's a good person. I think the advice I would give is you don't need to know all the answers. The craziest thing was believing that your dad knew everything. So as a dad, you felt like you had to know everything. You had to get everything right. It's okay to make mistakes. As long as it's coming from love, then, you know, it kind of starts to work itself out. I want him to be able to sit back one day and go, we worked together, we did a good job. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Brandon Julian. Beijing common sense. Beijing common sense. Anybody know if there's any common sense left in the room? This is the update with Brandon Julian. Indeed, it is, folks. Welcome back to the update, Brandon Julian, on a Monday, everyone. Start of a brand new week for us together. Thank you so much, first folks, for still being here with us. Less than a week to go until Memorial Day, unofficial start of the summer, of course, of 2023. As I said on yesterday's program, I was at retreat for my job on Friday. It was the first retreat that I've been on since I got rehired into this venture. And, you know, I still argue that it was definitely a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, you know, before I left for this job, um, this job, this retreat, <laughs> I uh, did some stuff with my wife because she... She was like, how am I going to survive the next day, the next, you know, day or so without you? Because, you know, I was leaving Friday. I wouldn't be back here until chef's notes until probably like Monday morning or so this morning (laughs) when I brought her breakfast, which I did. So I was like, ma'am, like, ma'am, you're going to be fine. I'm sure we're going to be in a spot where you can call me if you're feeling bored where you're feeling bored or anything, so don't worry. You, ma'am, are going to be just fine. 
And you know, it turns out that you know, it turns out that she was. I wasn't, really, you know, I wasn't really that worried about it. But retreat definitely was a lot of fun. We had um, some people with high ropes. I personally, my favorite was archery. I've always done good in archery. At retreat, I don't know why. Maybe it's just gift of talent. <laughs> Maybe it's just a gift of talent that uh, that I had. But I always have. I've always have had a lot of uh, a lot of fun with it, you know. Um, and honestly, I thought I was not going to be able to stay connected, but it turns out in the cafeteria, where the food was not that bad, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> the food was not that bad, but in the cafeteria, they had uh, a Wi-Fi password for the virtual learning stuff that they do. So if you were in the cabin or if you were in the cafeteria, you could stay connected to the Wi-Fi, which really did work. I should know. I tried it a couple of times that night. Uh, <laughs> but I would definitely, I would definitely go again. I know camping is not uh, particularly everybody's, you know, cup of tea. You know, like I said, I don't even surprised we could still get people, you know, to go camping. You know, it's like, hey, you want to spend a couple of your vacation days sleeping on the ground outside? Uh, no. What if we get to, you know, you get to grab standing up in the woods? I still wouldn't want to go. You wake up freezing, coming in a rash. All right, I'll go. You know, so it's like camping is a tradition in my family. Hey, don't you think camping was a tradition in everybody's family until they came, we all came up with a house? My parents never took me camping. You know why? Because I think they loved me. And like I've said numerous times, folks, at certain places, you actually have to pay to camp. You actually have to pay to sleep on the ground outside. That's definitely got to be offensive to the homeless people. As much as I live out here. Yeah, that's definitely very expensive. Of course, I don't know how I'm going to be able to prepare for her when you know, we actually go camping for a week in August. <laughs> I, I, don't know what she, I don't know what she's going to do then. That's going to be a, a whole different type of preparation to prepare for, uh, for me too. Um, we only go into town, select, uh, select few of us get to go into the nearby town to get stuff from Walgreens and such like once a week. Because I'm telling you, a week in like a week in that type of camp, and if you don't pack snacks, you don't pack snacks, you are liable to drive yourself insane. I should know. It happened to me once, and I said, "Well, that sucks. Never making that mistake ever again." <laughs> So I didn't make that mistake ever again. I plan my snacks meticulously. Like before anything else goes into my suitcase, I make sure that there's enough room. I make sure there's enough room for snacks. Uh, that's a little tip for if you ever go and camping out there. <laughs> it's just the truth, folks. What's also the truth is that uh, national news that is next for us around here, of course, uh, when the update Brandon Julian continues. From New York, based on a true story. This is the update with Brandon Julian. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. What is dedication? My biggest fear in the middle of my addiction was that my kids wouldn't have a father. 
I overdosed on heroin and I lived. And I started thinking, you know what? This isn't my story. My desire to change had finally outweighed my desire to stay the same. I felt powerless for so much of my life. It's important to me that my kids are empowered and truly believe that if, if they can think it, they can do it. I definitely had to become a better man to be a better father. For the first time, I, I finally feel like I'm exactly where I should be, where I want to be. <laughs> That's dedication. Visit fatherhood.gov to hear more. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. From New York, much less than the sum of its parts, this is The Update with Brandon Julian, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back uh, to The Update, Brandon Julian, on a Monday, everyone. Start of a brand new week for us together around here. Uh, thank you so much, of course, folks, for still being here with us. Uh, let us talk together right now for the latest national news. And we are going to begin, of course, in Washington, where another round of dead talks, they wrapped up at the Capitol. Um, the White House and Republicans staff, they met for about two and a half hours on Sunday night. Uh, the President and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy planned to meet in person today in search of a deal to avert an economy-wrecking federal default. It would be the first time ever in America's history that that would happen. The Republican leader, though, is expressing cautious optimism about a possible debt ceiling compromise as Washington is racing to raise America's borrowing limit before the funds could be depleted early next month. The leader spoke by phone yesterday while the president was returning home on Air Force One from Japan. McCarthy told reporters at the Capitol that the call was, quote, productive. In other news, we're going to go to Gallatin in Tennessee, where conservative groups that have targeted and won majorities on the local boards and commissions across this country over the past few years are now pressing agendas that include election distrust, a skepticism of government, and a desire to have religion play a greater role in public decision-making. The consequences are becoming apparent in places such as Sumner County in Tennessee, where a local constitutional Republicans group won a majority last year on the county commission. Members have waged a political war on fellow Republicans they view as insufficiently conservative and are feuded with the county's election commission in ways that could affect preparations for next year's presidential election. Back in Washington, uh, before Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman checked himself into a hospital for a clinical depression back in February, he used to warm the halls of the, st- of the Senate, stone-faced and dressed in formal suits. 
These days, he's back to wearing the hoodies and gym shorts he was known for before he became a senator. People close to Fetterman say his relaxed style is a reflection of progress that he's made after six weeks of inpatient treatment for clinical depression. He was treated with medication and fitted for hearing aids for hearing loss that made it harder for him to communicate. His hospitalization came less than a year after he had a stroke during his Senate campaign. Down in Florida, out of Orlando, the NAACP over the weekend issued a travel advisory for the state, joining two other civil rights groups in warning potential tourists that recent laws championed by Governor DeSantis and Florida lawmakers are, quote, openly hostile toward African Americans, people of color, and LGBTQ plus individuals. The NAACP is long been an advocate for black Americans, of course. It joins the League of United Latin American Citizens, a Latino civil rights organization, and Equality Florida, a gay rights advocacy group in issuing travel advisories for the the Sunshine State. Florida is one of the most popular states in the country for tourists, and tourism, of course, is one of its biggest industries. There is more national news for us to discuss, and we will address those, of course, when the update Brady Julian returns in just 60 seconds. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager learning the lingo. Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Update Brain and Julian on a Monday, everyone. Start of a brand new week for us together. Thank you so much, of course, folks, for still being here with us. You know, we're talking together right now, of course, the latest national news. And we're going to go down to Harlingen in Texas. U.S. immigration officials say that an eight-year-old girl who died last week in Border Patrol custody was seen at least three separate times by medical personnel on the day of her death. U.S. Customs and Border Protection said yesterday that the girl had complained of vomiting and a stomachache before later suffering what appeared to be a seizure. The girl's mother had previously told the AP that agents had repeatedly ignored her pleas to hospitalize her medically hospitalize her medically fragile daughter. GBP Acting Commissioner Troy Miller says that he ordered several steps to be taken which are appropriate care for all medically fragile people in his agency's custody. In other news, we're going to go down to Cape Canaveral in Florida. 
where Saudi Arabia's first astronauts in decades are headed to the International Space Station on a chartered multi-million dollar flight. SpaceX launched the first Saudi female astronaut yesterday, along with a Royal Saudi Air Force fighter pilot. They're joined by an American from Tennessee and a retired NASA astronaut, and now works for the Houston Space Company that arranged the trip. Their capsule should reach the space station by later on today. They'll spend just over a week there before splashing down off of the Florida coast. Axiom Space, which organized the flight, won't say how much the individual tickets cost. Down in El Salvador, officials and witnesses there say that fans being angry at being blocked from entering the Salvadorian soccer league match knocked out an entrance gate to the stadium, leading to a crush that killed 12 and injured dozens more. The stampede happened on Saturday night during the quarterfinals match between clubs Alianza and FAS at Monumental Stadium in Cuscatlan in southern San Salvador. One fan said that the game was scheduled to start at 7.30, but they closed the gate at 7 and left us outside with our tickets in our hands. He said people got angry at it, quote, we asked them to let us in, but no, so they knocked the gate down. And over in Pittsburgh, finally, Brooks Kepka is a major champion once again. Gone are those injuries that, of course, led to doubt whether he was still part of golf's elite. Kepka won the PGA Championship at Oak Hill by closing with a 67 and winning by two shots over Scotty Schiffler and Victor Hovland. He now has won the PGA Championship three times, and it was his fifth major title. Only 14 players, of course, have won more. It was the first major by a live golf player since the Saudi-funded league began nearly a year ago. California club pro Michael Block made an ace and tied for the I'll let you guys ponder on this as we say in the words of Walter Cronkite. That's the way it is. Monday, May the 22nd, 2023. Uh, That is the update on this Monday. Uh, I'm Brandon Julian. We appreciate you being here with us. And in the words, of course, of Roger Grimsby and Bill Gutel, hopefully that your news folks will be good news. I thank you very much for joining me. Good luck. Be safe. And most importantly, please be well. And I will see all of you, of course, right back here tomorrow.